0: Good morning. Our passage this morning comes from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. and that your joy may be full. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated.
1: Thank you, Lee. <clears throat> Good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church. I'm Pastor Brooks. I'll be bringing you the word this morning as we are continuing to worship. We are in transition between a series we ended this summer in the Book of Judges and a series we're going to begin on Labor Day weekend, uh, beginning in the Gospel of Mark, which will take us through Easter weekend. And the three messages, the three weeks in between, we're taking a look at where we're headed as a church, who we are as a church, what we're about as a church, and where we are headed as a church. And and what we are, who we are as a church, is we're a church that is consisted of disciples who then Make disciples. You you heard the video. Tommy Widmer said that we're to go and make disciples of all nations. Well, that presupposes that first of all, you and I are disciples, and that we're making disciples here in our families, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, including to the ends of the earth. So we're taking a look at that. Last week we looked at what discipleship is, and discipleship is simply uh, it means following. We're followers of Christ, presumably. Not all of us here are followers of Christ necessarily, but if you are a disciple of Jesus, that simply means that you follow him. You have a relationship with him. You, are, you have your eyes set upon him and you follow him. Today we're going to be looking at, well, what does that look like? What does following Jesus look like? Um, last week we looked at Mark chapter 1. Jesus arrived on the scene and he said... Uh, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe the gospel. And he came to Peter and, and John and he said, follow me. And they left their nets and their boats and they literally followed in his footsteps. They went with him. You say, well, that's great. But Jesus ascended. His physical presence isn't with us. What does following him look like now? How do you follow someone that you can't physically see? What does that look like? That's what we're going to take a look at. Uh, the verse that Lee read, at least right there in the middle of all those verses he read, is this verse, John chapter 15 in John's gospel. On the night that he was betrayed, this is the last moments he spent with him before he went to the cross. He said, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples as the father has loved me. So I have loved you. Abide in my love. He says that word nine times. I don't know if you noticed that as Lee was reading the scriptures, every other word seemed like abide, 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 abide. So to answer the question, what does discipleship look like? Well, it looks like abiding. Well, that's great. But what the heck is abiding? What is it? What does it mean to abide? That's what we're going to look at this morning. By the way, this, this message, I plan to do an entire series on after we've gone through the Gospel of Mark. So the Gospel of Mark is, who is Jesus and why should we follow him? following that, it's, well, what does following look like? And we're going to spend a number of weeks on essentially what I'm going to overview briefly this morning, which is the subject of abiding. So we're going to look at four things this morning. First of all, what is it? Definition, the means, that is the method, how do you do it? And then the motive, and then the lastly, we're going to take a look at the results. So open your Bibles to the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John, and let's pray and get to it. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and worship worship you as your followers. And I I pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts. And I recognize that not everybody here is a professed believer and follower of you, and I pray that you would speak to their hearts as well. Show them, Lord, how magnificent you are. Show us all how magnificent you are, that you are worthy of our time, you are worthy of our worship. And Lord, I pray that you would warm and call hearts to worship you this morning. Help me to preach and teach this morning in such a way that Christ is lifted up and that he is exalted in Jesus name. Amen. Excuse me. So let's get to it. Let's take a look at the definition. But before we do that, you need some context. You need some context. We're looking at John 15, but what comes before John 15? It's not a trick question. John 14, exactly, exactly. Whenever you're looking at something that's important in the Bible, it's important to know what comes before it and what comes after it. We need to know the context. The context of this very famous, I'm the vine and you are the branches, uh, lesson that Jesus gave is a very abstract and very difficult teaching that he gave his disciples. On the night that he was betrayed, he told them, I'm going away. But I'm going to go to a place and I'm going to prepare a place for you. But don't worry, you know the way. And Thomas is like, I don't know where you're going. How do I even know the way? And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. And then he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He's telling them, I'm leaving you. But don't worry, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I will come to you, yet in a little while, the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you also live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Okay, a few verses earlier, he said, I'm going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. He's with you now. He's going to be in you. To which the disciples said, What? That's a very abstract principle. Jesus says, I love you. And if you love me, I'm going to manifest my presence to you. You will experience me. Now, remember, he's saying, I'm going away. You can't come with me. Oh, but wait, I'm going to manifest myself to you. I'm going to send you the spirit. He's with you now. He's going to be in you. Now, the disciples are just like, What's he saying? I don't know what he's talking about. John 15 is kind of like this. Okay, I understand you have no clue what I'm talking about. Let's look at it this way. I'm the vine and you're the branches. So he takes something very concrete, something that they can look at, and and he's making that connection between the vine and the branches to describe what is very abstract and very difficult to wrap your head around. The fact that you can follow Jesus, experience his power, experience his presence, and, and, and have him produce his life in you without being physically with him. That's a hard thing to get your head around. So he gives us this metaphor. So that's the context. That's the context. So let's take a look. First of all, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser or gardener. He's the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Okay, before we get into how it is that you and I abide, let's just look first of all at this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, in Mark chapter one, he says, repent for the gospel is here. Believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. What is the gospel? Gospel means good news. What's the good news? Well, first of all, the bad news. The bad news is since the fall, since Genesis 3, mankind by his own volition and his own choice, his own nature and his own choice has decided to be autonomous or independent with God. That simply means that we as branches decided that we would be more fruitful if we disconnected from our relationship with God. We don't need God, we think. So we walk independently of God, we think. And so as a lamp is unplugged from an outlet, when humanity is unplugged from God, it brings death. It brings chaos. That's what sin is, is to to disassociate from God and live your life according to your own plans and purpose. And you saw the fruit of that culturally as we looked at the book of Judges. This is what it looks like when everybody does as they see fit. Well, we as individuals have done this as well. This is why the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And this is also why the Bible says that the wages of sin or the consequences of being disconnected and out of fellowship and out of relationship with God is death. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but all of us are 100% terminal because of sin. All of us will die. Now, that's a physical death. But apart from Christ, it also is a spiritual death in that we will not be connected. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Jesus says, I'm the vine and my father's the vine dresser. Verse 3, already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. What is that word? This is the word. The good news has come. Jesus said to his disciples and he said to those, for God so loved the world that he has given his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. The word that he spoke to them is this. I have come to be a servant and to bear the sins of many for the forgiveness of sin. That's good news. That means that those of us who by our own choice and our own will have walked independently of God and spurned him and scorned him and rejected him and we deserve his wrath. Jesus has come and he has taken your sins and mine and he has bore the penalty for those sins. And he has said, you are now through me reconciled to the father. This is the gospel to be reconciled, to be independent from him in alienation to him, to be at enmity with him, but because of what Christ has done and through through him to be united to Christ and thereby joined to the father. Hence the vine and the branches. That is all because of the gospel. The fancy word for this, That Paul uses repeatedly in Romans and Galatians and elsewhere is the word justified. If you are in Christ, you are justified by grace through faith. That means that you have been declared not guilty. That means that you have been declared righteous in Christ because you're joined to him. You're united to him. That's the good news. Now, that is all something that he has done. He has done our participation in that justification is to believe it, to receive it. It is faith. It's all of grace. That's it. He's done it. We receive it through faith. That's justification one through three. Now to the, well, what do I do as someone who is rightly connected to the vine? What, what does it look like? To to follow Jesus, even though he is physically not present with us. Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay. You see, this is four of the nine times that this word abide appears. So evidently there's something that I have to do as a follower of Christ, who's been joined to the father through the son and being reconciled to him. I have a responsibility. Now you as a follower of Christ have a responsibility. What is that responsibility? One word abide. Now, how many of you guys use that word abide on a regular basis in everyday vernacular? Any of you? Okay. Some of you have seen The Great Lebowski and The Dude Abides, and you, that's, about the, that's about the furthest of it. Some of you are like, Great Lebowski? I've never even seen it, but somebody bought me a t-shirt once that said The Dude Abide when I was talking about abiding, and I'm like, what's this from? It's from a movie. I'm not recommending the movie. I'm just saying that that's about the extent of which our culture understands the word abide. Hence... The need to explain it. What does this word mean that Jesus uses over and over? What does it mean? It means, it means to remain, to stay, to reside, to last, to continue. Okay, that's what it means. It means to draw near and not go anywhere. Now, you have to work. There's effort involved in this. I I think this is a helpful helpful explanation from J.C. Ryle, theologian, about 150 years ago. He said this, to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit, keyword, keyword, to keep up a habit of constant close communion with him to always be leaning on him, to resting on him, to pouring out our hearts to him, to using him as a f- as a fountain and of life and strength as our chief companion and best friend. Think of it this way. To abide means to do whatever you can as an individual to experience Jesus' presence and power and personhood. It's what we do when we want to experience the fruits of a relationship. So you can abide with your spouse. You can abide with your kids. You can abide. Uh, you can abide. It, it means to experience the, whatever. It's an action. It's things we do, things we do to experience the person, the presence, and the power of Jesus. That's what it means. So there's lots of different things that constitute abiding. But that's the essence of it. That's the essence of it. Abiding is any action done to enhance the relationship and enjoyment of Jesus. Any action done to enhance your enjoyment of your relationship with Jesus. If I were to boil the essence of abide down to one word other than abide, it would be obey. Obey. That's Jesus said, if you obey me, you will remain in me and you will experience my love. That, that's it. Okay, so that's the essence of it. That's essentially what it is. What it is. Now, we're going to look at the means. The means. Okay, what does it look like? What are the things that a person might do to experience his presence, his power, and his, his, his personhood? What are the things that a person does to enjoy the relationship that Christ has established through his death, burial, and resurre- resurrection. So are things to be done? It's not without effort. Let's take a look. If you abide in me, Jesus says, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you, There are two things at least, which you find in verse 7, which are things which we do. When he says, let my words abide in you, that requires us to have listening ears and seeing eyes. It means that we get into his word, which is revealed to us, and that we seek to hear from him. This is Psalm chapter one. I meditate on God's law. I delight in him. I delight in all his words. This is Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word, O Lord. I have hidden your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's, It's drawing near. It's spending time in his word. But there's also something else here ask well there there's do you see this is a relationship you're hearing from God but you're also speaking to God this is constitutes formal prayer when you are literally praying and saying things but this is also a posture it's a day to thing day-to-day thing it's a moment-by-moment thing because Apostle Paul says to pray unceasingly it's cultivating a lifestyle that you are attempting to experience his presence and his power and his personhood as you do life all the time everywhere. Because you are abiding in his word and his word is in you, you're constantly talking to him about everything you're experiencing. I speak to God as I speak to you. It's kind of an odd thing, but as, in, in the, as I'm speaking in the middle of the thing, I don't really know what to say. So I'm like, Lord, help me as I'm speaking to these people. Or as you are conversing with your spouse, and you're in the middle of a tense argument. You're like, Lord, help me to be patient, kind, loving, gentle, gentle and self-control. You are asking him to be present in the midst of you doing life. This is what abiding looks like. This is what abiding looks like. And here we see it in this verse. It says, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Look, verse 8. By this, my fathers glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my, your, my disciples. Do you know how people know whether or not we're following Jesus? Whether or not we're bearing fruit. Whether or not we are becoming more and more like him in our character and in our conduct. That's what abiding is. Okay, let's boil it down a little more concretely. The Apostle John, this is not in his gospel, but this is a letter that he wrote to various churches. He says in, in chapter 2 of his epistle in 1 John, verse 6, whoever says he abides, by the way, if you're a follower of Christ, do you say you abide? I'm going to ask the question again out loud. If you are a follower of Christ, should you say, I abide? Yes, of course. Okay, yes. Thank you for being participating, right? So, yeah, we're all supposed to say, I abide. John says, okay, if you say that you abide, if you say that you abide, then you ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Okay, when, when Jesus said to John and Peter, follow me, what did they have to do? It's not a trick question. They had to literally walk in the same direction he was walking. Okay, that's as concrete as you can get. So now Jesus is not physically with us, but he's given us his spirit. We are the branches and he is the vine. And he says to follow him, but where is he? Well, he he's, resides in your heart. You're connected to him. So to walk as he, in a way which he walked, is to do the things Jesus did. To do the things that Jesus did. To, when he said to his disciples to abide, they knew what he meant. Why? Because he just spent three years with them. And he was constantly talking about how he abided in the Father's love. I can do nothing apart from my Father. I live to do the will of my Father. I abide in my Father's will. I abide, I abide, I abide. So when he says, you abide in me, they're like, oh yeah, I, I think I know what he means. I'm supposed to do the things that he did to abide in his father in the same way that Jesus did actions. He did activities so that he could experience the presence and power of his father through the Holy spirit in the same way. I am to do the same actions that he did to experience the presence and power of his father. I'm to abide in Jesus the same way he abided in his father. Well, what did Jesus do? What did he do? Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, says one of the great activities you can do, it's kind of of interesting, is to read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with a notepad, and instead of writing out Jesus' teachings, what he said, write out his practices. What are the things that Jesus did? Well, yes, he taught, but he prayed, he withdrew, there was solitude, he served, he healed. He spoke. He had compassion. Look what he did. Well, that's the things that we do. But why did he do them? To experience his father's joy. Not to earn anything, but to experience, to, to experience his father's pleasure. That's why he did what he did. That's what abiding is. We ought to walk in the same way. Now, here's, uh, here's some some. Values that we have as a church which which constitute walking. These are the things that Jesus did which we want to do as well. We want to be in the word. We want to be people of the word. We want to, to be in prayer. We want to be people who speak to our Heavenly Father unceasingly at all times. We want to be people who gather together in corporate worship Praising God and private worship as well. Hebrews says to not meet, neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but to continue to meet together all the more so as you see the day approaching that you might spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Corporate worship is an encouragement and an edification to spur us on to continue to love, to continue to abide, To serve. To take a towel and wash people's feet. To 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 give of yourself to other people. Here, corporately, in a, in a Sunday morning service. But that's that's just the tip of the iceberg. But as a lifestyle, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Missions. To, to share the good news with those who don't yet know it. Here in this room at home with your family at home in your neighborhoods in your community in the workplace and to the very ends of the earth this is what abiding is con- constituted of and then and lastly community to to love the body of christ to encourage one another to be involved in living life with one another now I'm flying through this. There is so much to this and I recognize I can't possibly do this justice. I plan to do a series on this after Mark where we're going to spread this out and answer the question, how do I abide? Which is another way of saying is how do I become filled with the spirit and walk and keep in step with the spirit? So if you've ever wondered, how does a person become filled with the spirit and how do they walk in the spirit? It's the same question as saying how do I abide? It's the same question. We're going to spend about 12 weeks on the how after we get through Mark. But I just want to give you a preview of what that looks like. Okay, some very practical things. Jesus said, if my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be granted unto you if my words remain in you, to dive down deep into the word of God and to have his word remain in you. I want to encourage you to participate in the Mark Bible study. If you haven't yet picked up your studies, you can go back to the office and pick up the Receiving the King a study on Mark and go through that with other people, with other people, preferably. Preferably. Also want to let you know that Thrive classes are starting up. Those are equipping classes. There are uh there is a Bible study workshop on how to mind the Word of God so that you can get the most out of it. Take a look at that one. There's another another uh Thrive class on making disciples, which fits more with the message which is next week, which is on multiplication. But want to encourage you to go to the website, um graceb3.org slash events. Get into the Thrive menu and take a look at what is being offered to help equip you, us, to become people who are adept at mining the word of God and speaking to God, speaking to God on the behalf of others. Also let you know that there is an intercessory prayer group that meets at 730 in the morning. They are praying currently right now for you, for me and for those who will come in the next service. So there's lots and lots of opportunities to to abide with one another. Okay, but I want to spend the last moment here with which is actually something that if we miss this, we miss everything, and that's the motive. Why? Why do this? How many of you have felt like in the last, I don't know, 10 minutes, you're thinking, this abiding sounds like work. Any of you notice that? How many of you notice that this sounds like you know what? I'm gonna have to do something. Congratulations, you are perceptive. <laughs> Abiding is not a passive activity, it requires effort. It requires effort. But how many of you understand that a good relationship requires effort? If you are married and you don't put effort into your relationship, you will have a crappy marriage and a fruitless marriage. Why? Because abiding takes effort. You got to work at it. You have to strive. You have to pull your boots up. You have to strap your belt on. You got to work. But why? Why do you do things with your spouse that would constitute abiding? Careful, guys. Don't say it out loud and say the wrong answer because your wife will hear it. Why do you abide? Why do you do things to abide with your children? Why do you put effort into that? Well, if your motive is correct, if your motive is correct, let's take a look at what Jesus says. The father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that you're that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full motive. You ready? Your enhanced joy. That's it. Why should you abide? Well, do you want to be happy? Yeah. Well then abide so that his joy would be in you and that your joy would be full And you would actually experience a manifestation of his love. So Brooks, I thought salvation was by, by grace through faith and not by works. It's not by works. This is not work your butt off so you can be saved. This is you've been saved. So spend some time with the one who saved you so you can experience his love and receive joy. That's what it is. That's what it is. But so many Christians like, oh, salvation, sweet, cha-ching, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and now I can pray this prayer in five seconds, and someday when I die, I'll go to heaven. In the meantime, I'm going to chase after everything else the world has to offer, and you can't figure out why you're utterly miserable and have no joy. It might be because you have perceived salvation to be something different than Jesus says that it is. To be saved means to be reconciled to the Father through Christ, to be joined to the Father through Christ, and to experience the sap of the Holy Spirit flowing through your life that you experience His love tangibly. That changes who you are fundamentally as a human being and it utterly transcends. Transforms the purpose of your life. It's so different than this easy believism, which is so prevalent in evangelical Christianity. Well, I prayed a prayer when I was 10 at Iwana's, and now I've lived for the world the rest of my life. But at least Jesus is in my heart, so when I die, I don't have to go to hell. What? <laughs> that, that's unfortunately terribly common. but it's not in the Bible. So the motive, you don't work, you don't read the Bible, you don't pray so that you can earn anything with Jesus. You read his word, you pray, you wash the feet of other people, you serve, you share your faith so you can experience his presence, his power, and his joy. Husbands, wives, Children, why do you spend time with people you love to experience their love, to cultivate and deepen that love? It's, is there effort involved? Of course there's effort. Are there things you have to say no to so you can create margin so you can spend time with those you love? Yes. How many of you are too busy to do anything generally in life? You have no margin in your life. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do? Find margin. So well, I can't find it. Create it. Look at what you do in your life and cut out the things which prevent you from experiencing the presence, the person, and the power of Jesus. None of that was in the notes. It's all for free. And that's why I'm gone, I've gone long. So... <laughs> So what are the results? If we do these things, if we do the things which constitute drawing near to Jesus, so we can experience his presence, his power and his personhood. If we do those things, we will become fully trained and we'll be like him. People will begin to see Jesus in you in a way that they might not right now. And by the way, you may thank your heavenly father that this is Progressive. That we, we never arrive, well, we do arrive, but not in this lifetime. There is a constant, there's a constant chipping away. There's a constant growing. This is a pattern. This is something that God does in and through us. Over time, as we abide, we grow and we bear more fruit. Some of you are like, I don't have any fruit. If you're in Christ, you have some fruit. You're not as bad as you could be, but you're not as good as you should be. And as we abide, we bear more fruit, we become more loving, more kind, more gentle, more patient, more self-controlled. And all of that, Jesus says, so that you might prove yourself to be my disciples and bring glory to my Father. Some next steps. First of all, here's a quick prayer. It's not a formula, but you can pray this this week. Jesus, what would you have me do to know and experience you? I have no idea what the Holy Spirit's going to teach you or tell you, but he will personalize that for each one of you. Why? Because that's what a relationship is. It's personalized. What some of you might do is not what others might do. He may lead some of you to say, you know what, I want you to go through the Mark Bible study. I want you to believe. I want you to be baptized. For instance, some of you are like, I already believe. I've already been baptized. He might say, I want you to get involved in community. I want you to serve. I want you to do something. I want you to fast. I want you to spend a day alone with me. I want you to do... I don't know. You ask. I'm confident the Holy Spirit will speak directly to your person. Why? Because Jesus said he would. If you ask, you will receive. If you knock the door will be open. That's how he works. If you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Join us for the Mark series. Get involved in your church. Some of you are like, I don't know if I like this church. Great. There's other awesome churches in the area. Find one. Get involved. Dive in. And commit. And commit. And abide with those people. There's a lot of good churches in the area. But Commit. Don't make your Sunday morning the event of the month or the week where you hear someone preach, but you have no idea the people that you do worship with. Get involved in their lives. Love them, serve them, and serve our community with them. As the uh, praise team comes forward, we are going to celebrate communion. What is communion? Communion is something that we do where we can see, where we can hold, where we can touch, where we can, we can taste, so that the Holy Spirit might use communion to remind us of the person, the presence, and the power of Jesus. Communion is one thing the body of Christ can do together to abide. It doesn't define abiding, but it's something that you can do to experience his presence, his power, and his person. Do you know if you're not in Christ what communion is? It's the eating of a nasty tasting wafer and drinking grape juice and nothing else. So if you're not in Christ, don't take the nasty wafer and drink the grape juice because that's not what it's for. But if you're in Christ, drink it, eat it. And remember and meditate on what it stands for, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, so that you could be grafted into the vine, so that you could be transformed from the inside out, so that you could be forgiven of your sins, so that he could live his life through you and you could bear fruit. So as they pass out the elements and we sing, hold those and we'll take communion together as a family. As I close this in prayer and you are dismissed, I want to encourage you if if you have something on your heart, your heart is heavy, um, you'd like someone to intercede for you, to pray for you, to pray for someone you love, there will be people up front to pray with you. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you have reconciled us to the Father through your death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you that you are the vine and that we are the branches. Draw us near to you that we might bear fruit. So proving ourselves to be your disciples that we might experience your joy, your presence, your power, and a manifestation of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless, go and grace. We'll see all of you next week.